0: Well, it's Remembrance service, service today and Remembrance Sunday, the closest to the uh, 11th hour of the 11th uh, day of the 11th month. And uh, you know what they say? No sun, no joy, November. Uh, you're allowed to laugh. It's all right. Uh, maybe try harder next time. Uh, but it is indeed a dark time of the year, as you know. Uh, we've changed the clocks and all that. Uh, but it's also darkened by the fact that at this day we tend to remember sad things that have happened. And the effect and impact of wars hasn't gone away, has it? We still have the war in Ukraine, we've still got it starting in Gaza, No who knows where else, Syria and around the world. There were a couple of teenagers getting ready to leave school, and they were asked to write an essay as they were leaving as to what they would like to do with their lives. And um, a young boy wrote... I believe I would like to become a war correspondent. I would like a steady job. So uh, (laughs) that's one way to think about it, and certainly it's a profitable trade. A girl wrote these words. If I were the sun and saw men's deeds, I would eclipse myself forever. And this psalm is in just that mood. Psalm 88. This, I'll tell you, is the worst psalm in the Bible, but it's in the Bible for a purpose. It is miserable because it is full of darkness. There are seven imprecatory psalms. An imprecatory psalm is where the psalmist is pleading with God for vengeance and revenge and blaming the people that are uh, oppressing them. And they are quite interesting psalms. The other six Psalms, Psalm 88 is obviously one, but for instance, Psalm 140 starts off, rescue me from evildoers, and then he goes through a list of the things that have happened to him. But as they go through the Psalms everywhere else, they warm and they come round to realize that God is in control, and they end up, as Psalm 140 does, with, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Surely the righteous will praise your name, and the upright will live in your presence. What a wonderful, confident, happy ending. Get your Bible out in front of you. I'm not using PowerPoint deliberately. I want you to read these words. Grab it and put it onto page 500 and whatever it was, 56, was it? And read it through with me, because I'm going to go through it, and I'm going to pick out some of the themes of it, and then show how they apply. And it's a highly appropriate psalm for this Remembrance Sunday. Uh, You will see it's written by a chap called Heman, or Heman, uh, and he was Samuel's grandson, the prophet Samuel, who anointed David as king of Israel. And he was promoted to be the choirmaster in charge of the temple choirs. He was a very important guy. And he had a, a cousin or brother called Yedithan, who wrote many of the Psalms, as did Heman. And he also had another brother or cousin called Asaph. And many of the Psalms come from this family of psalm writers. And he was principal among them as the choirmaster. And so, day after day, he'll be praising the Lord in the temple. Just like the group, and say at the front there, he was the guy with the guitar singing into the microphone. Well, maybe they didn't have them then. But anyhow, he was cheering them all on, praising the Lord for all he was worth. And yet, he writes this psalm. But let's look at it, what he's saying. There is a structure to it that is very careful. But he starts with these words O Lord, God of my salvation, let us be in no doubt. This is a Christian believer. Well, whatever it was in those days. He's a believer. Is his Lord. And has surrendered his life to God. And he is his Savior, my salvation. What a wonderful thing. So this isn't a prayer of some atheist or doubter. It's a prayer of a heartfelt believer who every Saturday was praising God. And Sundays as well, I imagine. And it starts with his faith. And if you look, I'm going to show you the structure. It's very careful, cleverly laid out. It's a great one for a preacher. It falls into three parts. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. At night I cry out in your presence, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. That's part 1 of the psalm. He begins with prayer. This is a praying man and he's on his knees. Go down to verse uh, 9, and then he says, every day I call on you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. There he is, praying again, and that starts the second portion of the psalm. And then down to verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry out to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. He's a praying man. And that third section is the last section. And I'm going to pick something out from each of those three sections that will help us understand the frame of mind that this writer, this psalmist, was in. And it is not very encouraging. But let's follow it through, and let's see if there's a lesson that we can pick up from it, that the reason this psalm is in the Bible. Let's analyze it. And he starts off in verse 3, all goes wrong. My soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. It's a frightening thought. Now, follow it through with me. Look at verse 5. I am like those forsaken among the dead. I am, uh, sorry, verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit in the regions dark, and deep. This sky is in a dark place. Pastors like Barry often find people, believers, in a dark place. They see little hope. They're discouraged. And if you then go down to verse 12, the psalmist then asks the question, God, are your wonders known in the darkness? That is where he is. And this is a very interesting psalm. Go to the last verse, verse 18. And he said, My companions are in darkness. That isn't the translation. Because he says, I, my closest friend, is darkness. The last word of this psalm is darkness. This believer is in a very dark place. And he expands on it a bit more. If you look at the first, three, uh, the first um, uh, group from the, the first uh, part of the psalm, he's basically saying this, there is no light in my life. He says, look, verse 2, verse, verse 3, the last word, he says, my life draws near to Sheol. What is Sheol? Sheol is the Hebrew word, That The Greeks translated as Hades, which in English we translate as hell. That's where I am in my life, in the darkness. He then says, I'm like those who go down to the pit in the next verse. He mentions the pit in verse 6, the deep in verse 6. And he uh, finds himself in deep and bitter darkness. So that in verse 8, he says, my eye, verse 9, my eye grows dim through sorrow. It's not wrong to find yourself as a Christian believer at moments of sorrow, of grief, and of doubt, and that's where he finds himself. But he finds himself totally in the dark, obtaining no comfort. Let's move on to the second bit, though. It gets worse. Look at verse. Uh, um, uh, look at verse five. I mentioned this before. I'm like those who are among the dead. Look at verse ten. Do you work wonders for the dead? Because that's me, he's saying. And he then says, wretched, 15, wretched and close to death from my youth up. Not only is he in a place of darkness, he feels he's dead. He's in the place of death because he has no assurance beyond death. Look at what he's saying. Do the shades, that means the ghosts, rise up and praise you? In other words, beyond death, there's no praise. He says, Uh, Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? And he brings out the word grave several times. It's also in verse 5. His life, he feels, is dying, and he's got no hope, nothing beyond it. Is your faithfulness declared in abaddon? Abaddon means the abyss. This guy is in a very bad place. He has no confidence that there is life for him beyond And he's a believer. Hey, this is what this psalm tells us. He's in a dark place, but he sees no future, even with death. This is frightening. And then we take the next bit. Oh, it gets even worse. He says this in verse um, uh, 14. Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Verse eighteen: You have caused friend and neighbour to shun me. Also, verse eight: I, uh, you have caused my companions to shun me, and I have been made a thing of horror to him, to them. He got no friends. He's deserted. Darkness is in front of him. Death faces him, and he feels deserted, completely cast off. But mind you, I'll tell you, if you look at verse 15, I think he's beginning to exaggerate a bit. Wretched and close to death from my youth up. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You're the worship leader. You know that's not true. But that's how he feels, and that's what he's expressed. And many ask, why is this this psalm in the Bible? It shouldn't be here. There is a reason, which I hope we can see in a minute. And so... Darkness and death, desertion, he feels cast off. But it's worse. Go back up to verse 10 and 11. This is horrible. This is horrible. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the spirits or the ghosts rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? And then he says, why do you cast me off? Your wrath has swept over me. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavy upon me. Guess what he's doing? He's blaming God for everything that's wrong with him. He's turned the thing from himself, which he's moaning about, and he's now blaming God who's caused it, he says, that God is at fault because God has done it. It's worse though, he says, is your steadfast love or your faithfulness declared in the grave? Those words in Hebrew are mighty, mighty words. Steadfast love in the Hebrew Bible is the word in Hebrew hesed. Hesed means God's eternal covenant faithfulness. I will never leave you go. That's what steadfast love is about. It's the very character of God. In the Old Testament, throughout, the word hesed keeps popping up in the Psalms. And David sings about it. That God's steadfast love will maintain me no matter what. It goes from eternity to eternity. And yet he's challenging God's hesed, his love. The New Testament equivalent for this word, is the word grace. He's saying, you ain't got any grace, God, because it doesn't go anywhere. This guy is in a bad place. Alec Mateer uh, made a nice commentary on it, and he said, look, upward I look, and he sees only wrath. Inward, and he sees only terror. Outward, and he sees threats and absent friends who have lost and deserted him. And then the forward look he has is unrelieved darkness. This guy is in a very, very bad place. But, what? What? this is a psalm. What is a psalm? It's a prayer. It is a prayer, and he's opening out, spilling out his soul to God. And I say this, that is the right place to voice your heart. That is the right place to bring these words. He's doing the right thing. He's bringing his feelings, his sensations, his concerns to God in the privacy of his heart. That is the point of prayer. Draw near to God, says James, and he will draw near to you. The place of prayer is the only place to bring these concerns. That is where God can deal with them. Don't take them to Barry and say, Oh, minister, oh, I don't believe God anymore. I'm not sure what's going on. The answer is, forget Barry. Talk to God. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. He will sort it. He's bringing it to the right place. Tim Keller also points out this in his sermon on it. He said, when you're in a dark place, there is no better place to experience the grace of, of God. It's not in the hallelujahs and the jumping up. It's the silent, quiet, reflective place. That is where God can address us when we're at our lowest. That is where you can experience the grace. He said also, there is no better place to become a person of greatness than in that dark place. In other words, I'm here, God. Shift, change, adjust me. You can do it. And then he points something important out, which we have already covered in part in this service. His experience of darkness, everybody's experience of darkness, is relative. Your experience of darkness might sound or feel severe. But compare the experience of darkness to Jesus Christ, who cried on the cross the words of Psalm 22, My God! My God! He have not forsaken Why have you forsaken me? Oh, yes, he had. You talk about splitting the atom? God split himself from his only son, Jesus. And then what did he do? He poured his wrath all upon him. So Jesus was deserted by his disciples, but deserted by God on the cross. What happened on Calvary? Why, it says that the sun grew dark. The clouds came and separated humankind from the sun to illustrate that God had separated himself from his only son, Jesus, and placing on him all the sin of the world at that time. Christ became sin for us, says Paul. And the the, uh, prophet Isaiah said, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, our sin, and carried our sorrows. No one ever went through the darkness worse than Jesus. No one ever went through desertion worse than Jesus, separated from God. Then no one then ever went through death like Jesus, because when he faced it, he broke its power he's been through it all. The darkness of this world is dispelled by the one who said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, this psalm is actually reflecting, in part, what Jesus went through and felt on the cross. In some ways, it's actually foreshadowing that very moment at the crucifixion. So this dark and deep pit actually is the very pit that Jesus himself went through. And then we know up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. Hallelujah. He is risen. And he broke the power of death, resurrection. And he said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. Even though they die. So, Heman, get this into your thick skull. Death isn't the end. You will live after. Jesus gives eternal life. You don't need to fear death. It is just a door that leads to a wonderful eternal life and reward. And so Heman missed the point. And uh, Jesus then also promised that uh, while everyone deserted him, as we know, that he said, Look. He is always with us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And he says, I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. You're never, never deserted. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Do you see the confidence, the assurance that if only Haman had grasped, he wouldn't have made these mistakes and wouldn't have confessed that sort of prayer, but would have been able to rejoice at its end. What did himan get wrong? There's a, a friend of mine called Will Hunter. He, he was brought up in Northern Ireland, uh, and then after a sad incident, he came to England and he moved here to the sort of Salisbury area. And um, he uh, he remarried and he settled in East Gomeldon. Now, why anyone would settle in East Gumbledon is beyond me. There's no shops. The bus comes about once every Friday, and that's it. You know, it's, it's a complete... And if you go out there, it's, it's, it, you, know, it's, it, you go up a long lane, and there's nothing. It doesn't go anywhere. And uh, he was delighted to go there. Do you know why? Because at nighttime, there were no lights. It was all dark. And he liked that because he was an astronomer. And I visited him one November, one cold, very uh, bitter November night, And he was standing outside with his telescope. And it was a beautiful night. And winter is a much better time for astronomers. You can see all the stars. And I went out with him, and he showed me. He said, look look up the stars. And loads, the sky was brilliantly lit with little dots all over it. And he says, have a look in the telescope. So I did. Unbelievable. I could see Jupiter, clear as day, a planet with the four stars all around it. uh, Sorry, four moons all around it. And it was amazing. You felt I could just touch it. It was so close. And then you stand back and you see just myriad of dots in the sky. The telescope brings us near. But the problem with the telescope is if you turn it around the other way and then look through it, everything that is very close and near and dear to you is away. And Heyman's problem is that he was looking through the wrong end of the same telescope. Do you get it? And often Christian believers, we pick the telescope up and we use it the wrong way round. God is near. The, the planets, the stars aren't brought near, but in the telescope of looking through to Jesus, everything is drawn near. He brings us together. And so we can have confidence, it says, with full assurance of faith. And this is one of the great things of the Christian life. True, the New Testament brought it into brilliant light, while the Old Testament is still a little bit obscure. But the key thing is this. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is what brings it together. And we discover in Ephesians that by grace we are saved, that wonderful word, the character of God, to give to those who do not deserve it. By grace we're saved through faith, and it says that even that faith isn't your own. You don't work faith up. It says it is the gift of God. We receive it as a gift, that faith, and we trust him the moment we put our faith in Jesus. There's a story that says that, as uh, a poem, I can't remember the full words, but it says that uh, I looked up and I saw the face of Jesus and I saw his power and presence around me in the world. And as I did so and concentrated on his word, the dove of peace came into my heart. I looked and admired the dove of peace. And as I stared at the dove of peace, it got up and flew away. You see, it's only when you keep your eyes fixed and focused on Jesus that the dove of peace inhabits. If you live for the dove of peace, for happiness, joy, kick, whatever it is, the dove will fly away. The focus cannot be on anyone or anybody else but the Lord Jesus in our lives. And so, I conclude, check your focus. Have you fixed your eyes upon Jesus? He is the author, the starter, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12. Prayer is about Listening and coming and opening up. Don't make any bit of your life out of bounds for prayer. Everything is in bounds. Horrible feelings. Confess to God, I've got them. He sees that he already knows your head, but he wants to hear you confess. And open. and he then is in place. Deal. That's what prayer is all about. Aligning us. There's the mighty ships that come into the harbor put their, uh, uh, the, their ropes out and as the, uh, as the winches uh, uh, crank and, and, and squeeze, they then join and become more aligned with the harbor wall. And so in prayer, the more we spend, the more we become aligned with the harbor of God. And in the study and searching of the scriptures, God then speaks and makes clear to us How we should continue. And the Bible then encourages us not to neglect meeting together and not to throw away our confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So, fellowship is again important. All these things, Heman had turned his back on. Don't do it as a believer. Be there. Focus Focus your eyes on Jesus, and you'll discover that He alone can answer your deepest need. Bring the light where there's darkness. Bring resurrection and joy where there's death and confidence that we can face it and bring the presence of his Holy Spirit, regardless of where we might be. You're never desolate. You're never alone. He is always with you. What a joy it is to be a believer in Jesus and to know his power.